Welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lindbergh. Like many of you, I'm living a life that I just did not expect. And over the years, I've come to value the idea of living HeartStrong, of growing through the challenges in my life, and let's face it, the challenges in our times. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. So each week, I talk to thought leaders, authors, experts, and everyday amazing people who have something to teach us all about living fully amidst our struggles. I have learned so much from others along my journey, and so I hope that my guests will help you on yours. Let's get started. So in today's podcast, I'm really looking forward to sitting down with Scott Leeser. Scott is a man on a mission who's committed to making a difference in the world around him. He's a healthcare public relations consultant, a husband, and a father, and he's really determined to make a difference in the communities that he's a part of. And his passion is especially strong for the congenital heart disease community, and that stems from his personal experience of living with a congenital heart defect, which we'll talk about. You know, Scott has so much to teach us about living fully and on purpose, and I'm privileged to know Scott as a friend and a colleague, and I'm really looking forward to you all meeting him today. So welcome to the podcast, Scott. It's great to have you. Thank you. The honor is all mine. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, You are so many different things, which makes you such an interesting person. And I added, you know, a few things in the intro, but is there anything else that you want to throw out there before we get the conversation going? No, I, I think you hit on it. Um, you know, I think to me, it's about making a difference and living a life of purpose. And so when I, you know, pass through this world, like I want to be able to have those who were around me and, you know, that I encountered really feel like I lived that life of purpose and, that's really like what motivates me and, and drives my, you know, drives what I do. And so it really, it really is great to be able to talk to you about that today because a lot of times that's like what's always in the background of my mind, but isn't always spoken. Mm, yeah. And, and it's also, I always find it so fascinating to really get behind what motivates people. And I think that's what people will learn from you today. I think the other thing that I, I think people could think about as they're listening to this conversation too, is that when you have a significant experience in your life, when something happens to you that changes everything, there's always layered within there an opportunity to do something and to contribute in some way that only you can because of your story. And you really personify that, Scott, in your life. And I will, I hope people will be thinking about that for themselves and whatever they have as they kind of go through this, listen through this conversation. So I wanted to start really quickly and talk about, you know, what congenital heart disease is, if people that are listening don't know, and then what a single ventricle congenital heart defect is. So I'm going to talk about a little bit about pediatric congenital heart disease and kind of how it starts. And I'd love for you to define you know, like a single ventricle heart defect. So for those of you who don't know, congenital heart disease is the number one birth defect in the United States and really in the world. About one in 110 children are born with it every single year. And of those children, 25% of them um, need really life-saving surgery in the first year of life. So it becomes um, 
And it's usually not a one and done situation. A lot of times these kids have multiple surgeries, multiple hospital stays, and it impacts other areas of their life, such as neurodevelopment, um, behavioral development, all different kinds of things. So it's a very layered um, situation. And Scott and I have really had the privilege privilege of working together in advocacy in this community. Um, And I'm super inspired by him because he's living and thriving with um, this illness. So Scott, tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience with congenital heart disease, what a single ventricle congenital heart defect is, and really how that has colored your life and the work that you do. Yeah. So uh, single ventricle heart disease is a kind of subset of congenital heart disease. It's what's considered a complex congenital heart disease uh, or a complex congenital heart defect. And it's even more rare than um, just CHD, as you put out the number of like 1 in 110. But we're probably looking at probably somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty-five to 45,000 people in the United States with a single ventricle heart disease. So it's a very small population in terms of, you know, how the health policy folks look at it. Um, Single ventricle heart disease is an ultra rare condition. And so I was born with single ventricle heart disease at an era where uh, great strides and breakthroughs were being made um, in the treatment of single ventricle heart disease. Um, In the late 1980s, um, just a few... Uh, patients were really surviving major operations to correct um, the circulatory flow of the heart made by, you know, this malformation. And so I really feel like, you know, myself and others who are living with single ventricle heart disease are kind of on the new frontier of adult congenital heart disease medicine, particularly as it relates to single ventricle heart disease. And so living in that kind of world where, you know, what we know now is different from what we knew knew 30 years ago. Um, and the management of the children being born today is different from the management of the way that the children are being born that were born in my era. You know, it really provides a great opportunity to continue to push this field forward, um, both for single ventricle heart disease, which is obviously an extra passionate area for me, mm-hmm. but also for all congenital heart disease patients. I think that there's a lot of great strides that need to be made for all of the the various defects that fall under that CHD umbrella, both complex, simple, and moderate, and excited to kind of just be able to play a part in in what is really a very impact uh, impact opportunity for um, for congenital heart disease patients, both on the policy side, research side. Um, and patient experience and helping improve the patient experience. So you have, you're born with this heart defect, you know, it impacts your entire life and you go into healthcare consulting and advocacy, which is what you do now. So tell us a little bit about, because I'm always interested in how people have these experiences and then it really impacts, you know, the embodiment of how they work and live and spend their time. Um, and so that this has kind of impacted what you do today. So tell people about what you do and um, why it's so important to you. Sure, sure. Let me let me give you the full story, if you will. So sure. I, um, I was graduating college, uh, 2008, 2009 timeframe. 
I had applied for a teaching program where I was going to serve as like a new teacher in a under-resourced Catholic school in LA. Um, and I was going to move to California and give that a shot, you know, kind of post post college, just like, let me take two years. This seems like a fun kind of adventure to be on in LA. I probably won't stay out there forever, but it'll at least give me a place to land right after college. And I'd been making plans to make that move. And a few months before I was going to move out there, I had a, a a serious medical event where my heart went out of whack and I ended up in the emergency room and really kind of crashed into adult congenital heart disease care. So there are pediatric doctors who take care of pediatric patients with congenital heart disease. And now there is a growing field of adult congenital heart disease doctors who specialize in the treatment of patients like me with complex and moderate congenital heart defects over the course of their lifespan. And I met ACHD doctors who really had an understanding that my story wasn't that different from others, that by 20s and 30s, oftentimes patients born with these heart defects need to be re-intervened. And so you have a heart surgery or a series of heart surgeries in childhood, and by 20s or 30s, you're looking at more operations, more procedures uh, that really kind of help continue for your next 20 or 30 years of life. Um, And so at that kind of uh, crossroads, I was met with the news that I would have to have open heart surgery within the next year. So on hold went my plans to move to to California. And instead, I stayed local in um, Illinois, where my, my family is from. And kind of prepared for heart surgery for a year, had heart surgery over a summer, and then recovered from heart surgery. And at that time, my focus really had changed of where I wanted to be. And what I had recognized is that I wanted to be in Washington, D.C. and making an impact in policy and particularly health policy. Um, And I was going to move out to D.C., Regardless if I had a job or not, that was my plan. I was going to wait tables at night and intern on the hill during the day. And just so happened that through my network in uh, Illinois, I was able to connect with some folks who knew Senator Dick Durbin's health team very well and um, got connected and ultimately hired on as a person who answers the phones. (laughs) And that kind of started my journey in health policy. Um, I worked for Senator Durbin for three years. And what I didn't know was when I started in his office that Dick Durbin's own daughter had a complex congenital heart defect that had impacted her for her uh, entire life. And um, he was the legislative champion who really was able to put in place a lot of the federal investment and re- uh, research infrastructure that was needed to advance the congenital heart disease space. And so after three years of learning all about what was what was the congenital heart disease and heart disease landscape, I left Durbin's office and kind of felt like this is, you know, as you said earlier, you know, people take their experiences and their their opportunities that are only unique to them and try to maximize them. 
And I felt like that this was my call was to maximize this opportunity of the experience that I had in Durbin's office, as well as my own personal experience as a patient to help other patients. And that has kind of defined the last eight years of my advocacy work. And so you're, you're working in health policy and you, you've done a lot in the heart community, but you also are involved in other communities. And I, and I'm curious, you know, we, as, as people, and if people listen to this podcast, they hear me say this, like we kind of put ourselves in silos of different identities of illness, but there's a lot of through lines, you know, to people's experiences. And, and when you work in advocacy, you can kind of see that, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about people. It's about people who are trying to live well with their disease. It's about people who love them, want them to live long lives. Um, You know, talk to us about, you know, your your experience is rooted in your congenital heart defect, but you've been able to like span other communities. And what, what through lines do you see? What what, what, when you look at other communities, how are you able to help them or understand them because of your own experience? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think once you're kind of a part of a community like congenital heart disease, you can understand other folks with chronic illnesses or life-changing events that kind of help define who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done work in the kidney transplant space. There's, uh, I think, a lot of through lines between congenital heart disease and kidney transplant. You know, you've got an organ that is not operating to its full, you know, capabilities. And ultimately, there has to be medical interventions that take place. And there's also a lot of kind of unknowns of like, when is the next operation or the next intervention or the next time I'm going to end up in the hospital, both for folks who are going through chronic kidney disease, as well as congenital heart disease or any kind of chronic condition. And so I can really find myself and put myself in those people's shoes because of the, the experiences that I've had. You know, I've also had the chance to work with veteran and military caregivers. Um, and I see a community that doesn't always feel like they get seen. You know, they're at home caring for a loved one, returning from war um, with injuries, sometimes both visible and invisible injuries. And I think that being able to shine a spotlight on these communities and say, you know, these are people, these are people who have unique needs, who have a unique situation, you know, for military and veteran caregivers, there's, there's an extra layer of kind of um, what, what kind of duty we have to help care for that community because of the sacrifices they've made on behalf of um, the country. And so being able to kind of be able to speak on behalf of these communities who are oftentimes feel unseen or marginalized mm-hmm. really allows me to feel like I'm doing purpose-driven, mission-driven um, work to help these communities. And I think that the perspective of being a patient, being a part of these communities really has allowed me to be able to internalize that more than somebody who maybe um, hasn't had those kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. You can really be a true advocate for them because you understand both sides, right? 
the advocacy side yeah. and the patient side. You know, you mentioned being unseen. You mentioned the military community. I actually interviewed someone who um, leads a veteran service organization in the U.S. here, a first podcast of the season. And that was one of the things that she talked about. But I think this invisibility is something that um, – I'm just curious of your perspective on because people living well with congenital heart disease or living well with mental illness or living well with another chronic illness, you know, we, we might be standing next to them, you know, in the airport or at the store and we would never guess what's going on with them. What does that feel like to basically live almost with an invisible illness? Cause that you do, I mean, you wouldn't know looking at you, all the things that you have going on. Um, I'm just, what does that feel like? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I think it one teaches us all to like treat each other a little bit nicer. With, mm. You know, you don't ever know what somebody is dealing with or what the, what the wounds that they carry with them or the situation that they are, are, you know, embarking, you know, the, the situation that they currently are, are in. And, um, but I, I think, you know, personally, I think being, having an invisible illness oftentimes serves as, is great, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd rather not ha- be able, you know, not be disabled in a way that most people can see. And so, mm-hmm. um, there is like a little bit of like, well, I'm glad that my scars are hidden underneath my shirt mm. and that I can live a normal life. And that when I do choose to tell people it's on my own terms, um, that this is what I'm, you know, that I'm a patient of this community. And so I think it, it can kind of cut both ways. One is people don't always see the full picture of, of a person living with mental illness or a military veteran caregiver um, until they really get to know them. And then um, also, it can also be a blessing. You know, I think it also it impacts the way that I interact with people because mm. I believe that we all have a second layer. Mm. And how can you, you uh, to me, it's like if people, people saw my full picture, I feel like then they really have a fuller picture of who I am and what motivates me and what's my purpose. And I want, I want to share that part with people. And so I try to find what are the, what's the second layer to everybody else that's out there so that I can understand, you know, where they are on a more deeper level. And perhaps we share something in common. Maybe it's not a congenital heart defect, but there could be some second layer to their, to their being that really allows us to, to have a better connection. Mm. That's like really beautiful because that desire that you have, I think that's what people desire. They want to be seen in that way. You know, you want, you, you're curious about that, about people, but I think people also want others to be curious about them. We all want that. And so, I I mean, I know that that makes you good at what you do, but I think it's also a way that an awareness that you have that contributes just to being a, a better human, you know? And so I want to talk about that human experience that you're having you know, I've heard you say before, like that you're living on borrowed time. I sometimes have a sense that you're like, I got to get all this stuff done. I have so much to do. Um, do you feel that way? And how, you know, talk to me about that idea. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly feel like I'm um, living on borrowed time. So just to kind of put a, a little bit of uh, that into specifics, you know, of my, of my surgical co- cohort, which is uh, children operated on in the late 1980s, there is about a 50% 30-year survival post-surgery. And I'm at 32 years post-surgery. So half of the people who, have, who underwent the surgery that I did in childhood are no longer living. And mm. I think that that weighs on me heavily, especially now as a father um, and, and married. You know, what does that impact have on my family? but also on the amount of time that I have to be a productive individual. You know, folks born with complex congenital heart defects have a lifelong risk of of permanent disability and premature death. And so I recognize that that may be in my future at some point. And so as, as I'm given this unique gift of being able to be a voice in this community and to have an understanding of the health policy side of of my work as well as the patient side, I think that it really drives me to want to fit in as much as I absolutely can mm. to the chagrin of my family and, uh, <laughs> and my wife oftentimes. So I think that... Um, but you know we're we're all living on some kind of timeline, whether that feels like it's imminent or unimminent. But I think we can't take our time for granted because oh. our time here and our opportunities are limited, and so we need to, to, you know, for me, it's to put as much energy and effort into the things that I feel where I can make the most impact and purpose. Um, in my work. And so that's really what has driven me uh, to in, in this field. And I think why I take on as much as I do is because it doesn't always feel like this is, this is going to be an opportunity or an option for me. Hmm. And so when you live your life and you're, you know, on borrowed time and you're so right, like we're all living on borrowed time. We just don't admit that most of us. Um, we don't, we just think that we have all the time in the world. And, and I, I know as I get older, I'm like, man, time goes so fast. And my kids are growing up so quickly. And what am I really doing with the time that I have? Um, you know, people waste a lot of time. We have a lot of opportunities for time wasting, you know, scrolling, all the things that we talk about. Like, do you have anything different that you do practice-wise in your life because of this awareness that you have? Is there something that you don't do or, or try to focus more or less on than maybe you think like the average person would? I mean, I, I think a part of it, somebody once told me our most precious resource is not our time. Actually, it's our energy. Mm, and, interesting. And I, I think about that often because, you know, sometimes we can have the time, but if we don't have the motivation or the interest or the energy for something like then, you know, we basically kind of run out of that energy at some point to put towards it. And so if you give your, if you put yourself in working on projects that give you energy to continue to work on them rather than just feel like 
well, I've spent all my energy working on this project that I don't even really care about. Um, you've wasted that energy that you could have been putting on something that would be, you know, be more of kind of like a circular effect of like energy upon energy because mm-hmm. you're just so excited to work on it. And so right. I, I think that that's, that's the difference I think in the mindset is because, you know, ultimately you can look and be like, well, I did have those, you know, those 30 minutes that I was reading news articles back. But <laughs> if you, if you didn't have the energy to really work on the things that are your pa- like passion projects or, or what needs work needs to be done, then, you know, that's not necessarily squandered time. That's just squandered, you know, a missed opportunity to apply energy um, mm-hmm. towards something that really, that really moves your soul. And it also could be said that if you're doing work or things in your life where you, it does, you're not energized by, maybe that's like a little wake up call to say, hey, you know, I, I am, live, we're all living on borrowed time. I want my time to be maximized and I want to be energized by the things that I'm doing because that's what I'm going to contribute the most. And that's what I see in you. Like you're, you're energized by your work because you are, you're here to make a contribution and you're working in things that are really important to you. So I think those are, maybe that's like a, something that you can give to the listeners and they can say, gosh, if I'm totally unenergized, what does that mean? You know, because you really focus on, I mean, I've known you long enough that you get excited about something and you are like gung ho for it. So tell us like, what are the things you're really gung ho about right now? What are you feeling really called to work on? Um, I know you have a lot, you're so entrepreneurial, really, and creative on top of being, you know, in healthcare and, and, and policy work. What, what, do you, what are you hoping to, to work on in the next couple of years here? Yeah. Uh, so my wife and I are starting a startup. Uh, she's going to leave the classroom this year and we're going to start um, a, a healthcare startup that's going to be focused on helping families navigate the congenital heart disease surgery process through partnerships with employers and insurance companies and hospitals to really help ensure that the patients and families that need second opinions, um, perhaps at a hospital that isn't right in their backyard, can be able to receive those second opinions and really help improve the patient experience. Um, you know, oftentimes families find themselves kind of thrown into this world where they all of a sudden need to become experts and make really big decisions. And if there is kind of an independent caring source of information that can help navigate those that situation for, for families, I think we want to help provide that. So that is something that we're working on over the next year is to kind of put the, the things in place to be able to, um, to evaluate this idea and perhaps create an opportunity for families to be able to, to come alongside families in this journey. Mm. You know, you actually said to me once, given your history, um, you know, sometimes you can't always change the outcome, but you can change the experience. And yeah. I think that we're, we're going to be focused on that patient experience mm-hmm. component and hopefully change some outcomes at the, at the same time. But first and foremost, changing the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that so wholeheartedly. I think that 
sometimes we're so committed to outcomes, especially in medicine um, and in all different and, and and that I've really altered my my thoughts on that having a disabled child too on top of my son with heart disease because the experience matters so much and so like like I think families go through so much through this process and so do individuals and so shifting that experience for them because that's really what they're going to carry with them for the longest time right is that experience and that's awesome Scott I know that you're going to continue to make such amazing contributions um, in the way that only you can. I mean, back to that whole idea of being uniquely qualified for that. And um, I'm really excited for you. That's awesome. Great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And just to put it out there, you know, I'm not leaving my current role at Cure Strategies. (laughs) Uh, This is something that, you know, Courtney has decided, uh, my wife, that she kind of wants to take on on her own, given that I've talked about this idea a lot, but I don't really have the opportunity uh, to leave my job because I am doing such impactful work for clients. And so we're going to, I'm going to continue to stay with Kira and Courtney's going to work on this. You know, other things that I'm working on right now include, you know, the adult congenital heart association as a client along with mended hearts. We're having a virtual fly in, uh, in about a month's time that families of congenital heart disease and patients across the heart disease lifespan can join us on this virtual advocacy day and meet with members of Congress on issues yeah. that impact congenital heart disease and um, heart disease patients. We already have 220 people signed up, which means That's we're awesome. going to meet with about half of the entire Congress on these issues. And, uh, and so even, even beyond just, you know, kind of the, the big idea of a startup, you know, we're going to, I'm going to continue in this work to help move the field forward on policy and advocacy on behalf of heart disease patients, but also on behalf of my other clients um, that aren't in the heart disease space. Mm, that's awesome. I want to talk a little bit about your role as a dad. You're a father, you have two kiddos. Um, what is that like being a dad, you know, in the shoes that you're, that you're walking in? Tell me how you think about fatherhood. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, it's, it's, it definitely was a hard transition. Um, I think that before I had kids, it was easier to kind of isolate this heart condition to say, you know, it's, it's something that only impacts me and has really kind of, uh, ultimately, um, limited in terms of the amount of impact. Now, granted, Courtney was a part of my life and that certainly would have an impact on her as well. Um, but once you have kids, you start thinking about, you know, am I going to be here for their 18th birthday? Am I going to be here for their college graduation? Am I going to be here for their wedding? Am I going to be able to support them as they look to branch out into their careers, uh, which were impactful and, and meaningful moments that I had with my parents, especially, I think as you grow to be an adult, you like appreciate your parents so much more for all that they, you know, have provided for you in childhood. And then also just being such a great confidant and friend in adulthood. And so um, those are the moments that I like have a lot of anticipatory grief 
for. Mm-hmm. Um, the, un, the unknown. Um, there was a period of time I, when my son was less than a year old that I felt like every you know, happy moment that I had with him almost felt like there was a rain cloud over it because I would be struck with this anticipatory grief of like, how how long is this going to last? And what have I done in terms of bringing this child into the world? And, you know, when my, my heart feels, my health feels so um, unstable or, or unknown. And, you know, it was something that I think over time, like, I have learned to, to live with. And I think also you get further and further away from your latest surgery and you feel good and your heart, your health is good and you're not having any, you know, regular um, major health events. I think that those things kind of help calm that noise a little bit, but ultimately it's something that I think that a, a cross or a burden that I'll carry in terms of, being able to be a father with congenital heart disease to two young kids. And there's just, there's a practical component to it too, which is, you know, I'm, I've, I'm providing for this family along with my wife and, you know, there's, it's hard to get life insurance and to have stability and and assurance that like things can, will be, will be good on the other side. And so, um, those are all all kind of thoughts that I live with in a, on a daily basis, but try not to focusing on them, but also recognize that, you know, that that's what I think parenthood looks like for families mm-hmm. with conge- with adults with conge- complex congenital heart disease, as well as other chronic conditions where outcomes are unknown. Yeah, no, I, I think that you're, that you're, Really right. Yeah. I mean, you have a layer of things that you're thinking about that a lot of people are not thinking about. And I think that you have a a window into living a purposeful life that a lot of people don't have. And that's an amazing legacy um, that you have, that you're living currently. And, um, you know, I, I, I just want to share a quick story about you. I met you, we were both in Florida speaking at an event. This was a handful of years ago. And I was in the audience watching you share your story about going to college and getting married and having children. And, you know, you're such an amazing presenter and you had like the whole video going. It was just, it was, and I was crying, you know, because I'm a mother sitting there whose son had died of a single ventricle heart defect. And those are all the reasons I embarked on everything that I, that we did for him is because we wanted him to thrive as, as a child and as an adult. Um, and I just, it's just so cool to watch you um, do all of these different things. And it really honestly challenges me. And I hope it challenges the community around you to say, Hey, you know, what am I here to do? What am, what, what am I here um to bring to life. And I think it also, you know, as a parent for me, it it makes me realize that in this, in the heart community, a lot of communities, like we stand on each other's shoulders. I mean, people have, we, you, you 
you're living this life and you're creating opportunities for others and I've created opportunities for others. And that's how we can all contribute, right? Because we're, because you received surgeries that you did because of some brave parents before you. And my son lived seven years because of brave parents and physicians before me. And I think if we can think about it in that way and think about the fact that we can all contribute something that someone is going to benefit from, that that's a really energizing way to say, let's keep going. Even if we don't get the outcomes that we want, we're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of being able to 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 kind of frame this, you know, these the advancements that we've seen in terms of, you know, really thanking the families that, you know, made a brave decision to be able to put the interventions and the surgeries in place that really allow a patient like myself to live into their thirties and to have two small kids is really, I should be thanking some parent from before I was born who allowed their surgery to be op- their child to be operated on and maybe didn't have the same outcome I did, but I should be really thanking that person. And so really focusing on the broader of like being able to be a part of something bigger and that we all just kind of, play a small role. Like some of some people in this life are going to be outsized characters who are just going to live on, you know, president, first presidents and major historical figures. But all most of us are going to be called to something um, less, you know, something that is maybe not going to be written about for ages. But we nonetheless can have a big impact on our own communities um, and just trying to figure out the ways that we can maximize the opportunities that are right in front of us, no matter how big or how small, like, oh, I'm not going to be a Mozart or a Van Gogh or George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln, but like, how can we, you know, create the opportunities to really make a big impact in the, in the world that we have been in the opportunities that we've been given. Um, and, and I think to me, it's like, just, putting my hand on the ball and pushing it up the hill, you know, like, but there's a lot of hands on the ball and that's okay because that means we'll be able to get it up there further. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a group effort. So I, there's, you know, two more questions that I wanted to ask you that I was thinking about this morning. And one is, you know, there's, I bet there's going to be a lot of parents that listen to this podcast, parents whose children are living with congenital heart disease or, you know, and they're, they're curious about you and, and, and the work that you're doing and the life that you're living. What would be your message to a parent raising a child with congenital heart disease or another lifelong illness? You know, I think speaking as a parent, you know, you're so protective of these kids because they go through so much and you there's such a cost to everything and yet like it's for living and thriving and joy. So talk to the parents for a second, tell them, you know, give them some advice. Yeah. I I think one thing to key is, you know, as much as there is uncertainty in the future to never let that limit a child um, because you don't know what kind of advancements will be there what kind of, uh, what part of their stories may be true based on the statistics or the facts. You know, it could be easy to look at the statistics at the time of late 1980s and to say, 
you know, the probability that Scott's going to have a family and be thriving in a career and, you know, post college graduation, like is low. So let's not focus on that. Let's Mm -hmm. instead focus on, you know, another component. But I feel like my parents always kind of, you know, put me in the same bucket as my brother and sister, heart healthy brother and sister, and has allowed me to like be able to meet the opportunities that I've had um, in a way that had they just focused on the statistics or what was probable or likely would not have. So that's first and foremost. You know, I, I think it's important too that families and, and patients, there's a, there's a time and a place for these statistics and for the reality to be shared. But it wasn't a part of what I knew growing up and really wasn't a, probably a reality of most adults living with complex congenital heart disease, for good or for bad. It's out there. If they want that information, they can find it. But um, not letting a family or a child or a young adult steep in those statistics um, so that they, too, have the mindset that the their possibilities are endless and there's mm-hmm. opportunity ahead of them. So those are the, the two, um, you know, obviously listen to your doctors and your nurses and your healthcare team about what is, you know, how to, how to maintain good health. The other big component that like we see as a big issue is maintaining lifelong specialized care for chronic conditions. Oftentimes, people will feel good and they will stop going to see a doctor because of cost, because of inconvenience. And what we, what, you know, I think is very clear is those who stay in care do themselves a lot of favors in the long run. I've never had a period of time where I wasn't being seen by a specialized cardiologist for my condition for more than a year or two. Um, and I think that that's an important component. Don't let that slip away. Your health is a very, uh, fragile thing and don't let that slip away and stay on top of it and be an active participant in your care. Mm, That's such good advice. And it's a good advice for all of us. I mean, even those of us not living with a, you know, a congenital heart defect or chronic condition, don't take your health for granted. It's a gift. Take care of yourself, you know? Um, so so kind of as we close out, I like to ask all of my guests a similar question. And it's this, it's what tool or piece of advice has served you the best in the person you are today? Um, I, I think, you know, Something that stands out to me that like has kind of become like my life motto is your purpose is hidden within your wounds. Mm. And you sometimes, it's so easy to focus on the wounds as like a defining thing that takes away from your humanity uh, or detracts from living your life from its fullest. But to me, and I think to a lot of people out there, finding purpose in your wounds really allows you to live the, the life you were meant to live with the purpose you were meant to live. Um, and in that regard, you know, can, I would not trade congenital heart disease for 
uh, uh, living a heart healthy life because mm. the opportunities that it's provided me and the purpose that it's given me and the impact that I've been able to have on this world because of it has, um, has outweighed any of the, any of the uncertainties or anticipatory grief for the burden that it has provided. Mm. I like to say I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't trade it. Right. Cause there's yeah, lots of I gifts would. in there. There's a lot of gifts in there. And I think we, uh, you know, we've got a, everybody can look at their, so it's, you can't always change your reality, but you can change what you're telling yourself about it. Absolutely. Or um, how you perceive it or how you act on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's lots of opportunities for meaning making. And I think that you have done that and do that. You're living that way with your life. And um, I just really admire you for it. And I thank you for all your work because you are, Scott is making a lot of impact in, in a lot of communities, but in the heart community, um, I just see you as such a unique voice. Um, you have the life experience, you have the professional, you know, experience and, and gifts um, to do a lot of good. So thank you for sharing this time with me, Scott. I cannot wait to see all the things that you and Courtney bring to life. And um, I hope you'll come back sometime and tell us about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Jess. And um, it's just a privilege to be able to talk to you about this today. Thank you for joining me here on the HeartStrong Podcast. Please rate and review this podcast and share an episode that you love with a friend. And when you do, it helps us continue our mission of encouraging people to grow through the challenges in their lives. This podcast is brought to you by the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation and the HeartStrong Collective. To learn more about our work, please visit theheartstrong.com. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the HeartStrong Podcast.